Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done that. They never gave up, no matter how difficult the circumstances were that they were facing. They never gave up, and as a result, they became successful as victors instead of victims. Every single guest I have had has the same story and that is coming from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope to a place of success and I am so excited because I believe that everybody has a story some are apparently bigger than others but everybody has a story every person on this planet has overcome something as a result, when we share our stories, we help other people. And some people have possibly endured something similar or they just need encouragement. Even they might be listening for somebody else. Each of my guests gives that encouragement and they give tips on how to survive even the worst of traumas. Many of my guests are authors and coaches and inspirational speakers and they want to help us to gain insight and tips on how we too can become successful or overcome problems that we may face. So I thank you to each of my guests for sharing their story and I also thank my listeners because without you guys we wouldn't even have a show. Thank you for your support and your feedback. I love hearing it. With me today I have Peter Weddle. He has an amazing story. This is one that I had to read his bio a couple times to make sure that I read it right. When we talk about success, that I believe is Peter's middle name. And this is what you're going to see as he shares his story. His story is one of survival and recovery. One year ago, Peter was a homeless crack cocaine and heroin addict on the streets. Now, you might be thinking what I thought. Did I read that right? It didn't say 10 years ago. It said one year ago. Now, not only did he clean up his life, but he is a successful author, public speaker, and life coach. Talk about somebody having some tips to give people and coaching them through their traumas. Peter's the man. Peter, welcome. Welcome, Carol. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. So let's start, Peter, by talking about 
your childhood? Because a lot of times people who have, well, become addicts for one, have had a difficult childhood. Did you have a storybook childhood or was it something quite different? It was actually quite different, Carol. Um, basically, my parents split when I was four years old. And um, from the age of four to the age of seven years old, I was actually um, sexually abused at the hands of a family member, which impacted me um, very negatively in all sorts of ways, mm. as you could imagine. How did you cope with that at the time? At the time, um, I didn't know what to do. Um, Basically, I was wet in the bed all the time. Um, I was having to go to the doctors all the time. They never basically clicked on to what was happening to me, and I was too scared to speak out. I was just a terrified wee boy, and I was very lost. I was also being bullied at school at the same time as this. So I was very shy, I was very vulnerable, and I didn't know what to do at the time. I really didn't know how to cope, to be honest with you. You know, I, I can hear the pain in your voice, even even from all those years ago. You know, that yeah. shows me that you have a passion to help other people who may have experienced that. And this is something, oh, oh, yeah. you know, that might even come out later as, as we're talking. But tell us now about the lowest point and, you know, how did you get there? Was I realize that it started in your childhood, but was there something specific that happened or was it just like a going downward spiral? Basically, um because of my what, what happened to me during my childhood, I got involved in a gang culture. I got involved with drugs and drinking. That became a bit of a problem for me. When I was 17, though, I'd done something about it. I went to, um, despite all the things I was going through and despite my gang life lifestyle, um, I went to university at the age of 18. I studied sociology and social policy, and but midway through my studies in university, I started um, to hear things and see things one day, and I was admitted to the psychiatric ward, and I was later diagnosed then as being paranoid schizophrenic after being sectioned halfway through my university um, years which was a very scary experience for me. Actually, that was one of my questions I was thinking as I was listening to you, and that is, how did you handle the fear? Because obviously you were a subject of fear from a small child, and so yeah. it, it probably was part and parcel to your life. And I'm assuming that the you know, gang cult culture and the drugs etc. probably helped you, but you were still dealing with that. Can you share a little bit about what you were going through and how you coped with that? Basically, what I was going through was I was going through absolute trauma. I was going through major anxiety. I was going through major depression. I was put on um, my first antidepressant, my first um, psychiatric pill at the age of 17. And um, I was a I was given a psychiatrist at the age of 17 and I still wasn't able to explain to them what happened in my childhood but I made up some other stories about um, basically what was, I didn't make up stories sorry, I was ba I basically told them what was going on in my life at the time in terms of like living a gang life and how I wanted out of it and 
how I wanted to be on the straight and narrow again, and that's when I managed to go to university. But when I was actually um, diagnosed halfway through university as having um, my diagnosis as a paranoid schizophrenia, um, it was a fright to me because I thought paranoid schizophrenics were people who were axe murderers, like you see in the papers, or people who are really like psychotic. But I'm anything but that. I'm actually, if you were to ask any of my family or friends, I'm one of the most gentlest giants you'll you'll ever meet and see. Um, but yes, um, it was a very scary experience to be diagnosed with that because I, I only knew what the papers said about it. But now that obviously having suffered from it, now I actually stand up in a campaign for for them against the stigmatisation of mental illness. A campaign for mental illness, mental health rights for people. Essentially, what I'm hearing from you is you were your own encourager. Your support system was within yourself, was it not? My support system was very much within myself. Don't get me wrong, I did have support from the community mental health team. And a great supporter of me was my father, um, Dr. Ian Weddle. Um, it, was a, it was a massive support to me during my, during my um, life and going through a, a lot of things that I went through. But unfortunately, quite a lot of family um, basically ditched me because they never understood the nature of my mental illness. And they basically um, abandoned me and so did a lot of um, friends too. So that hurt uh, double as much as the illness itself because people never understood what I was suffering from. Let's start with your lowest point and then tell us what the pivotal point was. My lowest point, I would say, would be when I basically started taking heroin and crack cocaine. Um, that would be my lowest point and I was found homeless, me and my dog, um, with no place to live. I managed to find a scatter flat. But I would say overall, my lowest point was when I decided to take my own life. I actually officially died for seven minutes because I took 95 tramadol and drank a bottle and a half of vodka. Oh, my word. And I died for seven minutes because they know from... It just so happens that my friend at the time phoned me and she knew that I was... She just had instinct, women's instinct, that something was wrong with me. And she said, phone an ambulance, Pete. So, so I just... I, I, I don't want to, I said to her. I want to die, I said. I can't cope with this anymore because I was just living in the streets and I was dealing with just taking heroin every day and crack when I could afford it. I said, I don't want to. And she, but she persuaded me to and I'm, I'm very, very glad and grateful to her that she told me to do that to this day because um, they did revive me after seven minutes being dead. And I was in a coma for four days and then later um, admitted to the psychiatric ward where, where I actually um, read the book called The Secret and managed to change my life around. At this point, did you hate yourself or your lifestyle or both? I hated both. I hated my lifestyle and the way I was living because it wasn't the way I, that my parents, although they split, had brought me up to be like. I hate myself because I blame myself for a lot of things. I, don't, I didn't have any self-love. And I felt a lot of guilt for things. So you were living in fear, you were living in guilt, and you were living a, in a state of self 
worthlessness. And yet, the message that I know that you want to get across, and one that our audience wants to hear, is how in the world does someone in the lowest of the low be able to turn their life around? So what happened? I remember when I was in the coma, I was actually reaching towards a bright light. It's it's impossible to describe in this podcast, but I basically seen angels, and and I remember it clear. Because my coma, although it was four days, it felt like I just had a dream and I was asleep for four minutes. And basically, um, totally like, changed change things around for the better. Um, and it happened because I'd basically reached my wit's end. I'd had enough. I'd tried to kill myself. Well, I did kill myself. I actually did kill myself. I was brought back to life and I even failed at that. So I thought, right, if I can't even succeed at that, then there must be a reason. Then there must be a reason for me for being here. <laughs> if I can't even succeed in killing myself, <laughs> that's not funny. But yet, you know, that's that is very funny because I, I find, I, find <laughs> I, I, I laughed at myself because I, I look back at it and laugh, and I don't, so I don't mind people laughing at it because I look back and I laugh at myself because it, it's as it funny in a way because I felt like I'm, a, I'm that much of a failure. At even killing myself, I can't even do. You know, so I thought there's definitely someone or some being that's keeping me alive here. There's definitely a higher purpose for me being here in life. So I thought I'm meant to be here and I'm meant to live. And then when in, when I was in the psychiatric unit, someone came, gave me a book called The Secret, uh, as you, your readers might be aware of. If not, it's by Rhonda Byrne. And it's, there's also a movie about The Secret as well and with very famous um, life coaches in it. And uh professional speakers and um, inspirational people in it. And I read that, and when I was actually in the ward, I made my own vision board, and it's the only place in the world where you can actually say affirmations, talk to yourself, and actually be classed as normal. What kind of support did you have through this, this entire you know, transition time? The entire time I had support from my father, Ian, and my good pal, uh, um, Claire O'Brien, sorry, Claire O'Neill, Correct that, please. Claire O'Neill. Were you still in the hospital for some time after after this happened? I was, I was in for about two months, and then I decided that I had, things started to become my reality. I started to manifest things according to the law of attraction. Before we talk about that, let, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing right now. Let's start there. How did you get to where you are now? What I done was is that I got a roof over my head, first of all. When I came out of hospital, I decided that I didn't want to be taking drugs anymore. And being in hospital was, the psychiatric ward was a good place um, to be, to not be around people and to be away from everything and everyone. I decided to follow my vision board. I'd done my affirmations every day. And I said, right, I'm going to study a course. So I decided to study the coaching master's course. And that was to be a life coach. I I was officially accredited as a life coach about a month ago, and that's an official accreditation. You were your own life coach then, to that point. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, um, I'm still doing it now. I'm on the the last module of Bob Proctor's Lead the Field program. I've also done Mary Morris's uh, Build the Dream program. 
How would you describe your life today compared to a year ago? In a, in a few short words. Living a life beyond my wildest dreams. Isn't that amazing? I hope you pat yeah. yourself on the back once in a while. You have every reason to, you know. I know that there are people that helped you and people who have supported you. But you know what, Peter, and I'm sure you're fully aware of this. There are people who choose not to do what you've done. And they, whether it's their self-worth or their self-hatred, you know, that they are struggling with. Mm -hmm. But you did. And that, that didn't just take, you know, support from external sources. It also took... You mm. had to make that decision. You had course, to pull yes. up your bootstraps. Yeah. You know, you had to do it. And I'm sure that this is the message that you want to get across to those who think that they can't do it. Well, so. what, what, what I want to show is, Carol, is that no matter how far down the track you are, no matter how hopeless life seems, no matter how bad things seem, there is always a way back. There is always a way back. How do you know that? I know that because I've done it and I've right. proved it. Right. You've proved it. You wanted to um, talk a little bit about mental health awareness and addiction issues. So what do you want to share regarding that? I want to share that um, mental health can happen to absolutely any of us. Um, I think it's one in three people in their lifetime will suffer from a mental illness. It's, it's debated whether it's between one in three or one in two people um, in Scotland anyway. Um it's it's so common, but yet it's still not talked about, especially amongst men in Scotland. Um, mm. It's a, it's the highest rate, it's the highest killer of men between the ages of twenty, twenty, early twenties and uh, late thirties. It's the biggest killer of young men in Scotland is suicide. So um, I want to raise awareness of that. In terms of addiction, I want people to know that oh, that I'm here to help the still suffering addict, to let them know that no matter, no matter how tough things are, you can fight back from it. There is a way out of addiction. You just want to want it bad enough. You want to focus on something. See when you find your life purpose and you you have something to focus on, and you have a reason reason to live then you'll want to live and you will change your life around. That's what I've done. What would you say were some of the steps to get there? Like, what would be the first step? My guess says it would be to admit you have a problem. And take us through some of the steps that you would recommend. I would recommend admitting that you have a problem, as you said, Carol. Admitting you've got a problem and then speaking to your local health professional about what help they can give you because there's always someone out there that's willing to help. Whether it be a someone, whether it be a family member, a friend member, someone um, in the healthcare services, or someone for maybe in your local church, if you go to it, um, there's always someone out there that's willing to help you. It doesn't matter where you live. There, there's always people that are willing to help. There are good people out there, despite despite all the stuff you hear in the news and, and everything. There are a lot of very very good people out there. And so I really do suggest that if you are struggling, get in contact with someone and take the first steps. Take each each day at a time, keep it in the present moment and take it step by check, step by step, sorry, and chunk it down. So take it each day at a time 
chunk it down and just focus on the present moment and focus on your life's purpose because you can achieve your dreams. Whatever you imagine, whatever you want to happen in your life, it can become your reality. I remember I interviewed a, a, a gentleman. He was quite young, actually, in his early 20s. Uh, and he was living in a dumpster with his two little kids and his story is parallel to yours I'm hearing the same thing and this was a number of years ago and don't care where you are or how low you've become at the bottom of a stinky Mm -hmm. dumpster you can make that decision and the first step as you said is making that decision and once you make that decision my guess is you're, it's going to be a battle. It's not just like, oh, okay, oh, tom- yeah. tomorrow I'm oh, going to yeah. be better, right? So how do you deal with that battle? What do you do in the midst of that battle? You use every bit of advice and every bit of support and every bit of strength you have within you to battle it. Use every, every bit of support in terms of friends, family, if you have any, because um, a lot of addicts don't have any family members and a lot of addicts don't have any real friends. So that can be quite difficult for them. So their only friends might be actually the professionals within the NHS or why they actually, a lot of people do, do actually come to me because I, I've been there and they can talk to me as a, as a friend about things. But it's basically about using your inner strength and using everything you've got using every bit of grit and determination you have within you and wanting it bad enough. You want to live more than you want to die, basically. You, you want you want to have success and live your dreams more than you want to live in despair. Yeah, And for me, it took me to reach my rock bottom for me to get to that place. And I think an important thing to point out here, and I'd like you to address this as well, is that there's no shame in asking for help. No, there definitely isn't. Because everyone, there's a lot of people out there that are, that are very afraid to ask for help and they don't and they continue to suffer. But don't suffer because you're just prolonging your agony, constantly prolonging your agony and you're prolonging your suffering. There are professionals out there that are willing to help you. Not all of them charge money for it either. There's people out there that are willing to help you for, for free and offer you any help they can give you. A lot of people done that for me and that helped majorly. Because people put their faith in me, I therefore put my faith in them. I didn't want to give up in them either. I have a question coming from a different perspective, and I don't know if you can answer it or not. And that is, we all know people in our lives who have some pretty serious issues, whether it's drug addiction or alcohol or suicidal tendencies. My question is, very often, even though we are aware of these things, it's difficult to reach out to them because they may not be in a place where they want help, have an attitude that uh, they're trying to hide it or any number of things. Is there something that we can do when we see this to offer help without sounding arrogant or that we want to change their lives? You know, you see what I'm saying? Like, how can someone observing this actually be a help and not make them angry or not be a hindrance to them? The, th- the thing is, you, you could do something. What, what I would advise is, is, this is just me personally, it's up to you is what he's doing, is not to give a person in the street or an addict money, but buy them food or buy them fresh water or, or juice. Okay. Um, because most likely, being an addict, that money will go in one thing, and that will be the 
their poison of choice. So I would advise them, give them clothes if they need it, giving them a hot meal, feeding them, giving them shelter if you trust them enough. Um, but um, I wouldn't advise giving money unless it's to a charity. And what about those who are not necessarily homeless, but just, you know, they might be in society, but functioning as a full-blown alcoholic or drug addict, and they're trying to hide it, and you are aware of it. What about that? those I, type of situations? I would advise to come to people like me, life coaches, who can basically help people deal with those issues, anonymous atmosphere, and help them overcome the reasons that it's led. Because most often, addicts are addicts for reasons, and normally there's reasons that led up them to become addicts in the first place. And in my job, I help people overcome the original reasons which led them to become addicts. So I help them overcome those sort of reasons. You're coming from a place of empathy because you have been yes. there. Absolutely. Yes. So what else can you offer the audience today that um, might be a help in, in any way? I can offer them help in the sense that no matter how bad things get, there's always a way back. I would say every day, write down something you're grateful for. Write down, because see, having obviously died for seven minutes, and because I basically had none of the basic needs you need in life, like food, water. I had clothes, but that was just about it. I never had shelter. So I appreciate the small things in life. So see, when, when big crises come up, they're not a crisis to me anymore. They're just small to me. And another thing is is that I also write down positive quotes because they keep me going, they keep me in a positive spirit and I would advise meditation as well if you can do it and it helps you to relax and it's very, very good for your mental health and um, exercise and a healthy diet as well is also very crucial. It helps massively also. So I would advise doing those things. It's personally what's worked for me and what continues to work for me to keep me mentally well. I've actually came off um, 10 of my medications due to just sim those simple things. Oh, wonderful. 10 medications that were prescribed sorry, by psychiatrists and doctors. Um, I've actually came off all 10 of them. So that, so that was a major um, change for me. Um, and I dealt with it by the things I just said, by being grateful for everything around me, by doing... Um, don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, Don Eden's energy medicine routine. It's basically energy medicine where you do tapping in your body to, to basically ground yourself and um, it helps with your mental health too. And going to the gym helps a lot as well and eating healthily helps a lot also. All those combined help as well as doing my affirmations. Sorry, I forgot to mention my affirmations. In other words, there are many things that you can do, but it is a step. Oh, yeah. by, there is a step by step and taking yeah. the first step, the second step is going to be easier, right? And, oh, then, yeah. and then the next step and not being afraid to ask for help. I think that is crucial that, yeah. that you mentioned that. I, I think the key, Carol, is not to focus on tomorrow, but to focus on the present moment yes, today. Yes, focus good. on the present moment. But see if you think about tomorrow, you'll just see a long road ahead of you. And that can put people off. Focus on the present moment today. Just try and get past the 24 hours that are ahead of you. 
and that will get you somewhere. You know, it's interesting that you said that. I, I spoke to someone uh, who had a similar story to yours, and they said that the 24 hours was was even too big of a window. They started with five yeah. minutes. Five That's minutes. True. I can yeah. get through five minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, some some people even shop it down to um, one minute at a time. Oh, wow. Wow. So I've, I've, I've known people to chop it down to one minute at a time. It's basically speak on the phone to a friend for several minutes. Things like speaking to a friend or having a hot bath or yes, listening to yeah. music. Or just distraction techniques, stuff to keep you busy. I think keeping busy, no matter what it is, even if it's just going on a long walk, um, keeping busy is, is another crucial thing. Yes, definitely. A tactic that I used to, to keep myself clean. Well, as I said at the top of the show, Peter, my hat is off to you. I love I mean, that's what this show's about. Stories like you, people like you who not only survived what you survived and recovered, but you're there helping other people. I mean, that is what this whole earth is all about that we live on, our, you know, to help one another and to encourage and uplift. So is there any words of actual encouragement that you might have in closing or anything else that you want to share about anything? Yeah, sure. I mean, I became a homeless um, crack cocaine and heroin addict to um, two times offer. My book's called How the Law of Attraction Saved Me because of the book The Secret that I read in the Mental Health Institution. And I'm also, I've also re- designed a journal called The uh, Manifestation plan, the Dream Manifestation Planner, and it's going around the world book further now. It's been in London, it's going to Munich, it's going to Shanghai, and it's going to a place in Mexico which I can't even pronounce, let alone spell <laughs> for being an author. <laughs> but um, it's going, it's going around the world book further now, which, which um, I, I would never have dreamed of being able to have that success. And also, being a life coach, I get pleasure out of um, helping other people get through being through what, what I've went through and not just being, going through what I've went through, I actually help uh, businessmen and people in the corporate sector as well that are just suffering from business challenges or relationship issues because they see what I've went through in general and just get encouragement from it and their issues don't seem as big to them when they see or hear what I've went through. So it may encourages them to put things into perspective a little bit. Although everyone has a their own issues and their own way of seeing life. Um, so I'm not saying that their issues aren't relevant because they are, but um, I help people to overcome their issues because a lot of the time they think, well, if you're able to overcome that, then I can overcome my sort of issues. And I'm also um, an associate member of the Professional Speakers Association, so in front of audiences. So I'm, I'm doing pretty successfully now, and I'm also doing a course in neuro-linguistic programming and I'll be, that'll be accredited as well so I'll be a neuro-linguistic programmer as well soon that'll be another achievement on my belt and you know what, this is just the beginning yeah, that's this what is, a lot of people are saying yeah, this is just the beginning so what do you see in your future? I see my future basically running retreats for those that are mentally ill and those that are suffering from addiction problems I love to run retreats in the Highlands of Scotland and run retreats abroad as well. And I'd love to be a trainer trainer, basically train people in coaching and in um, public public speaking, professional speaking. Well, you are a hurricane, aren't you? Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, 
I'm getting close to it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I thank you so much, Peter, for sharing your story. I know that this is still raw in areas for you. It has oh, to be. Very much, very you much know, so as. Absolutely. I mean, you you are, talk about overcoming fear and overcoming all these other things, even shame, you know, that we discussed uh, earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. You are in the process of doing that as you're already helping others. And I think a lot of people wait until they think they've arrived, you know, before they, they can help somebody else. But you are the perfect example of someone who is still in the middle of it. And going forward and wanting to take as many people on this journey as they can by helping them. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for encouraging our audience. I know and I encourage my audience right now to get in touch with you if they are having any issues. And also to follow you on Facebook. We'll have that in the show notes. And to go to your website. And also, audience, I would ask that you encourage Peter. You know, thank him for this, for this message that he's given us today. And we all need encouragement. We've never arrived or we've never gotten, you know, to the place where we don't need that. Mm -hmm. And so I thank you to my audience for doing that. And I thank you, Peter, so much for being a guest today. Uh, never, ever, ever give up hope. You're very welcome, Carol. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.